0: Good morning.
1: I am Nan Hart. It is my pleasure to welcome you to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalist online worship service. Our greeter today is Lucille Casado. Our other worship leaders today are Susan Walkley and our pianist Dave Robbins. I'm especially pleased to welcome the return of our guest minister, the Reverend Sherman Z. Logan, Jr., who serves as the executive minister of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Richmond. And in case some of you forgot, he was our summer minister during the summer of 2014. If you're on Zoom, at this time you might want to change to speaker view so that you'll have a better view of whoever is speaking. Our AV technicians will be muting and unmuting you as needed. If you'd like to follow along with the order of service, I invite you to visit wuu.org to download a copy. You'll find the link right next to the Zoom and YouTube links. If you're visiting today, we invite you to share your name in the chat if you like and anything you'd like us to know about you. We also invite you to fill out our online visitor form at wuu.org, right underneath the link to download the order of service, so we can connect with you later. And at the end of the service, you're welcome to join in a small group conversation, especially for newer folks. We're glad you're here. We're also going to have other breakout groups right after the service for anyone who wants to talk about the sermon. They will be facilitated and all are welcome. I have one announcement. Today is the last day, August 9th, to send in pictures of your animals so they can be stars in next week's animal blessing service. (laughs) Send pics to John Trindle at johntrindle at gmail.com. Welcome. We are happy that you have joined us via live stream, audio, or video, or Zoom. Whether you have come seeking comfort, encouragement, or inspiration, you belong here. You are seen here, even if we cannot see each other physically. If you are a visitor, we offer you a special welcome and a warm thank you for joining us online today. Now I invite you to join in saying our welcoming words. Please, as you say these words, speak them to each other and know that we are connected across the distance. The words are pasted into the Zoom chat. Let's say them in unison together. Folks on Zoom, we will unmute you so that you can hear each other.
0: Come, 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 whoever you are,
2: whoever you love, whatever
0: your image of the moment.
1: Presence here is
0: gift. All are worthy. All are are welcome. welcome. Blessed be.
2: Come into this place with your whole self, the parts that are wrong and exposed, the part that is beaming with joy, the part that is seeking the truth, the new, the possibility. Come into this place, open your heart, lay down your burden, lift up your hope for something new to happen. Come into this place with fellow travelers on the journey, some faces new and others familiar. Here is where we gather in the presence of the sacred. Here is where we gather to experience the holy. Here is where together we face the unanswerable questions and acknowledge that not knowing is as sublime as it is frustrating. Here is where we unite in the midst of life and all of the glories and suffering it can hold, knowing both are ever present. Here is where we ask, think, risk, discuss, ponder, and offer what might not be welcome or even acceptable somewhere else. Here is where, if we allow it, we are deeply moved. Here is where we encounter each other in deep and powerful ways that surprise us, yet without which we will not survive. Here we gather to worship, to experience something happening, Perhaps something different for each of us, according to our beliefs. Something unnamed, uncharacterized, and unusual, yet absolutely necessary. Here we are so gathered, our minds, our hearts, and souls. And so our worship began. Come, let us worship together.
1: Thank you. Reverend Logan. Now, please join me in saying the words to light our chalice. If you have a chalice or candle handy nearby, go ahead and light it now. Again, we'll unmute you and say the words in unison. We light this chalice... For the warmth so of for the light of truth, the
0: energy, the energy,
1: the energy, energy of action, for the harmony of peace, peace in our hearts, peace, peace in our community, and
0: peace our in our world, as it be.
3: Dead. for all' gathered here
4: about a piece of advice about kindness that has an ancient history. It is the golden rule. So kids, right now, you could ask your parents what it is, a surprise quiz for your parents. They probably know about this rule that is so great, it is golden. The rule is about treating others the way you would like to be treated. It is simple. It helps us think about others' feelings, Think about the possible consequences of our actions. Gives us a way to judge our actions. Lets us think about how we would like to be treated. I'm gonna give you a few examples of the golden rule from the distant past and more recent. Comes up early in the Bible, in Exodus. Don't oppress a foreigner, for you well know how it feels to be a foreigner, since you were foreigners yourself in the land of Egypt. And from Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. In the Odyssey, goddess Calypso tells Odysseus, I'll be as careful for you as I be for myself in like need. I know what is fair and right. From the time of the Buddha, there is nothing dearer to man than himself. Therefore, as it is the same thing that is dear to you and to others, Hurt not others with what pains yourself. From the New Testament, treat others as you want to be treated, for this sums up the law and the prophets. From Muhammad in the Quran, woe to those who cheat. They demand a fair measure from others, but they do not give it themselves. From the Yoruba people in Nigeria, one who is going to take a pointed stick to pinch a baby bird should first try it on himself to feel how it hurts. In 1688, four Pennsylvania Quakers signed the first public protest against slavery in the American colonies based on the golden rule. They wrote, there is a saying that we shall do unto others as we would have them do unto us, making no difference in generation, descent or color. And when finally talking about workshops that brought together children of Nazis and Holocaust survivors together, Andre Volkis wrote, if you can stand in somebody else's shoes, you cannot dehumanize that person. So while it is deceptively simple, when choosing how to act, what to do, let us think about how we are similar to other people. How we would like to be treated. We are all in this difficult time together, and may we all show the kindness and patience that we would like to receive and to give it to others generously. Thank you.
1: Wonderful, Susan. So, this summer, we are sharing a series of From the Heart reflections on racial justice. Reflections where we learn something, explore our experiences, examine our internalized racism, look at the world with new eyes, and ask new questions and acknowledge mistakes. Today, I am pleased to welcome back Eileen O'Brien to share her thoughts with us. Thank
5: you. So long before I even became a parent, I became anti-racist, even wrote a dissertation book on it, and learned how misguided it was to be colorblind and avoid talking about race with kids. I tried to follow advice I learned from others throughout my journey, maintain relationships with other whites, and try to get through where people of color couldn't, but at the same time build the kind of progressive and multiracial circle I'd want to open-minded kid to grow up in. And I started a biracial family with a mixed social network. I expected to be able to apply some of the things that I learned. What I did not anticipate as a parent is how protective I would feel in my kids innocence. As I began to see the world through my children's eyes where their loved ones were such a rainbow, I dreaded having to finally tell them that the world out there used dividing lines to say, who was slave and who was free, who went to which school and which drinking fountain. Despite admonitions of how important it is to talk to kids about race, I wanted to put it off as long as I could. I remember I had to have this conversation when my daughter was in kindergarten much earlier than I had hoped. She was asked to read the part of Dr. King in the school patriotic program. It was so sanitized and glossed over, I felt I had to give her the real version of history her school left out. And when she asked, who in her family would have been on the black side and the white side, which we didn't really use those words. I resisted answering and I asked her to guess. Of course, with the variations of skin tone on her dad's side and most of her family, she got wrong by society standards. I think she had probably assumed or hoped everyone closest to her would have been on the side that didn't have to face torture and exclusion. So I had to break this ugly truth to her and it broke my heart and I resented the school for forcing my hand and driving me to tell her it sooner than I wanted to. When my son, this talk also came unplanned. He and his friends were going through a phase of playing with Nerf guns, and Tamir Rice at the tender age of 12 had just been shot and killed by police for having a toy gun. So while you hear about the talk happening when kids get to be about driving age, here my son was still believing in Santa Claus. I had to tell him he can't just run around anywhere in the neighborhood with toys with the same freedom as his white friends. A few months later, he felt deeply what Colin Kaepernick was doing and followed suit. He asked permission from the school and deliberately sat out the Pledge of Allegiance all year long because in his words, he did not like what police officers were doing to African-Americans, especially children. I was proud, but I was still scared for him when he did that in a way I didn't expect. Um, Around this time Ta-Nehisi Coates' book Between the World and Me came out. It's an open letter to his son who was reduced to tears when it was announced there'd be no punishment for the officers that killed Michael Brown. While many heralded this book for his brilliant analysis of the history of institutionalized racism and the brutalization of black bodies, what stands out to me most about the book is his reflection on the tension a parent feels of wanting to shield and protect your kids innocence, but at the same time the crucial need to prepare them for the reality of how the world is going to treat them. Coates mourns a tragedy of parents making hard, making them hard, kids hard before their time. He writes of black parents who beat their kids before going out so whites won't have to, all because of white supremacy. And I've seen this for myself and my in law side of the family tragic but the place that it's coming from perhaps understandable anyone who crosses the other side of being a parent learns unconditional love like never before through this journey I came closer to empathy and understanding of how smug some white self-righteous activism can sound when you're not the one with the target on your back you'll be a little slower to criticize those who aren't always on the front lines and though it won't get any easier you learn how to hold the tension that Coates so eloquently describes between anger at injustice and passion for change with a gnawing fear of innocence lost and gunned down before their time. As yet another tear falls with each new ugly truth they must learn, a seedling, tiny seedling of hope also blooms that they can help build the fairer world our generation could never quite give them. Thank you.
4: Thank you, Eileen. We invite you now for a moment of meditation, reflection, and prayer, as we navigate together in this community, what Todd Nahishi Coates called our horrible and beautiful world. I invite you to call to mind those who are particularly on your heart today. If you are on Zoom, I invite you to type their names in the chat. Let us all reach out in loving presence to draw our circle wide. Today, especially we think of Charlotte Lawrenson. Her son, Kenneth David Goumer, died at Consulate yesterday. Charlotte and Jim were with him. They will be with family today. And now, Reverend Sherman will lead us into a meditation.
2: As we live through these challenging times, troubling times,
0: reflect this morning on the words from Richard Gilbert. Be
2: gentle with another. It is a cry from the lives of people battered by thoughtless words and brutal deeds. It comes from the lips of those who speak them and the lives of those who do them. Who of us can look inside another and know what is there of hope and hurt, or promise and pain? Who can know from what far places each has come? Or to what far places each may hope to go? Our lives are like fragile eggs. They crack and the substance escape. Handle with care, handle with exceedingly tender care. For there are human beings within. Human beings as vulnerable as we are, who feel as we feel who hurt as we hurt life is too transient to be cruel with one another it is too short for thoughtlessness too brief for hurting life is long enough for caring it is lasting enough for sharing precious enough for love be gentle with one another
0: Amen. Blessed be.
1: Thank you. Each Sunday we make an offering from the bounty we are blessed to enjoy. We do so in a spirit of generosity and in recognition of our ongoing commitment to serve our world and share our values. If you are joining us for the first time, please feel free to give if you wish, and also know that your presence is gift enough. Each month, we share the plate with one of the local organizations that provides a much needed service to our community. It offers us an opportunity to extend our compassion to others in need. This week, your contributions will go to the William and Mary Law School Immigration Clinic. The clinic provides much needed legal representation to immigrants in the Hampton Roads area at no cost. This morning, Stacy Kern-Shearer, the director of the clinic, is joining us. The immigration clinic is essential to our Journey to Asylum program, so we're pleased to welcome Stacy to tell us more about the clinic's critical work in our community.
6: Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I'm so honored um, to be here and I appreciate uh, you all so much for having me and allowing me to speak with you and, and, to, and to be present with you um, today. So as, as said, I am from the William Mary um, Law School Immigration Clinic. So who are we? Uh, we are we are me. I'm the I'm the director and the attorney, the head attorney of the clinic and the law students who work under my supervision um, in our cases. So what do we do? Well, we focus on um, providing pro bono legal representation to non-citizens in Hampton Roads, particularly um, in the space of humanitarian forms of relief. And and what that means is that we do, uh, we focus on asylum, uh, we focus on non-citizens who have experienced, who have no immigration security, but who have experienced and who are survivors of crime, human trafficking. Uh, domestic and intimate partner violence, um, really people who are in the United States under extraordinarily vulnerable circumstances. Um, we find that you know, Hampton Roads is a very challenging area. Uh, we do, don't have, there aren't a lot of pro bono uh, immigration service, legal service providers, all the way from Virginia Beach to Richmond. Um, it's a very, what, we, what I refer to as sort of a representation desert. It's very difficult for non-citizens to find representation um, in in our area. Um, We we work a lot with the domestic violence shelters, um, with uh, hospitals, with churches, to help uh, be part of the network um, of providers and of of concerned people, right, who who want to um, provide some help and relief to those who are in need. wanted just to share a couple moments of reflection, um, you know, cause I, I think that that helps communicate what we do. Um, and I, there are some things that going into this work, I, you know, you know, is going to be very difficult, but there are some times where it, it takes your breath away. And I would not have thought that in the very first week that the clinic opened, and we've only been open a year, but you know, in the very first week, I found myself with two law students at a hospital room, um, with a parent and a child, um, you know, navigating multiple languages to help them apply for asylum. And there are moments where you kind of, in, your, in one part of your mind, you're like, how did, how did we get here? Like, how, how, did, how did this happen? And why, why is, what are the circumstances that brought us all here um, to, to be doing this work? Um, And it can be, it can be very, you know, very difficult. But on the, on the other hand, you know, another piece of reflection is, is the strength of the individuals that we serve, um, who have been through just a lot of, of difficulty. Um, And they're, 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 they're just inspiring and strong and resilient and, and every day, you know, wanting to fight for them and, and really fight for their humanity to be recognized. And what Susan was talking about earlier in her and her reflection on, on, on today's wisdom um, and that's what you see is like wanting to to fight for someone's humanity um, to be seen and heard um, in our immigration system and another important piece of this um, before i conclude is is the students and that's another important part of what we do is this, this is a space for establishing the next generation of social justice lawyers of immigration attorneys and giving students the, the space to learn the skills so that they can be advocates um, in the future. So it, it is at one time something that we're doing today to directly help um, those in our community in Hampton Roads who desperately need this relief, but also to look forward, right, and say that you know, we're building um, what in the future these students will go out and become the immigration lawyers and the social justice lawyers that will be you know, moving forward um, in our in our in communities all over the country. so we I'm, again, I'm really thankful um, to be here today and um, really appreciative of your generosity and of your commitment to to our community. so um, thank you so much
1: Thank you, Stacy, and thank you so much for what you do um, if you would like to give through our website, please visit wuu.org and click on Give Online to WUU. And if you'd like to give by text, please text the dollar amount of your gift to 757 500 0688. That's 757 500 0688 and follow the prompts from there. And old school, if you prefer to give by check, Please mail mail your check to WUU 3051 Ironbound Road, Williamsburg, Virginia, 23185. Thank you so much for your generosity.
3: I don't condemn, I don't convert. No one is going to lose their soul. All my days I've been searching to find out what this life is worth through the books. searched the gift that we
2: Shahab Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things, feel the future dissolve in a moment, like salt in weakening broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go, so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus would never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out of the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you. How he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore, only kindness that ties your shoe and send you out into the day to gaze at bread, only kindness that raises its head from the crowd
0: to say, it is you I have been looking for and goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend.
2: I bring you greetings from the First Unitarian University's Church of Richmond, where I have the honor of serving as the executive minister. And I come from you live from my living room in Sanston, Virginia. I want to thank Reverend Laura and the worship team for inviting me to share and worship with you this morning. And as it was mentioned, mentioned in my introduction, I had the honor and privilege to serve as your summer minister six years ago. And this congregation has always been my second home, and I am eternally grateful for the role that this congregation played in my ministry development. I look forward to sharing worship with you every year, and I'm saddened that this year we have to do it virtually. So, my hope is that we can be together in person one day soon. As I was preparing for this morning's sermon, the Spirit laid on my heart to share with you one of my favorite stories from the Gospel of Luke, the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the story as told in the New Testament, a traveler was robbed and left left to die by his Two highly respected religious men, a priest and a Levite, passed by the fallen traveler. Now, you might think that these two holy men would have stopped to show compassion and stopped to help the fallen traveler, but they decided to walk away. Now, here comes a Samaritan. And unlike the two holy men, he tended to the man's wound brought him to a end, and gave money to the innkeeper to cover any expenses that might have occurred. My friends, what makes this story very compelling is that the Samaritan would have been the person least likely to stop to help the fallen traveler. You see, Samaritans were considered by some to be the lowest class of people of that day. And according to some biblical scholars, the Samaritans were historical enemies of the Jew. Jews. They, de- they despised each other. Now, we don't know if the angel traveler was a Jew or a Gentile, but it made no difference to the Samaritan. He did not consider the man's race or religion. The good Samaritan saw only the person in dire need of assistance, and assist them he did, above and beyond the minimum required. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King famously said, on the parable of the Good Samaritan, I imagine that the first question the priest and Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But by the very nature of of his concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question, if I do not stop to help this man, what would happen to him. Now, what would we do if we saw someone in need, who might need a helping hand? Do we even notice? Do we turn a blind eye and walk by, just as the priest and the Levi did in the parable? Or would we, as Dr. King asked, what would happen to that person if we did not stop to help? Do we open our eyes to see the needs of people around us who are suffering, or just need a kind word, a smile, a door open, or help carrying at every load. Now, if we were ever in a very difficult, fearful, perhaps desperate situation, like the injured traveler in the story of the Good Samaritan, and someone suddenly comes along and shows us real kindness, significantly help us out, perhaps saving us from something dreadful, I believe that we will always remember the act of kindness of that Samaritan that we might meet along the road and be greatly, deeply grateful. And over time, when we perform act of kindness, will mean much more to us and have much more impact on our lives than more displays of unbridled selfness that we see played out in our world today. But friends, unfortunately, we live in a time where kindness is at a premium. But in the story of the Good Samaritan, we see an example of how we are to show compassion, kindness, and love for those that we encounter in our everyday activities. We ought to love each other regardless of their race, religion, immigration status, sexual or gender identity, social economic status, or political party. Now, isn't that what our first principle of Unitarian Universalists tells us? To respect the inherent worth and dignity of all human beings? Now, I know for some that is easier said than done, done, and it's the vicious society that we are living in today. However, my friends, when the criterion is based on needs, if our siblings are in need, and if we have the means, then we are to give generously and freely without expectation of receiving something in return. Now, this is not always possible because of our human nature. And at times, we have selfish hearts, and we are motivated by self-interest. And when we, are left, when we are left to our own devices, we at times do the wrong things. But friends, the lesson of the story of the Good Samaritan teaches us the power of kindness, where we are to set aside our differences, our prejudices, to show love and compassion for others. You know, kindness is not a word we usually associate with power. We tend to associate the word power with the hard reality of weapons, forced aggression, privileged positions, wealth, and advantageous political connections. We associate the word kindness with love, empathy, humility, self-sacrifice, affection, gentle, warm, and concerns. Kindness is defined as a quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. And while kindness has a connotation of meaning someone is being not na- is naive or weak. Well, that is not the case. Being kind often requires courage and strength. Now I'm sure you've heard, "Don't take my kindness for weakness." But friends, being kind is not being weak. Kindness is not niceness. It is instead a powerful and subversive thing that anyone can perform, even if they cannot bring themselves to feel compassion, mercy, and love. Kindness is about telling the truth in a gentle way. When doing so is so helpful to the other person. But you must be willing to speak truth to power and hold others and yourself accountable. Receiving accurate feedback in a loving and caring way is an important part of a trusted relationship. The courage to give and receive truthful feedback is a key component of growth and flexible thinking. Kindness also includes being kind to yourself. Do you treat yourself kindness? Do you speak gently and kindly to yourself and take good care of yourself? So there are many ways to be kind and many opportunities to practice. And perhaps kindness is a value that could add more satisfaction to strengthen our relationship. And when we carry out a few altruistic acts, it is then we can discover ourself, for ourselves the power and benefits of kindness. Friends, I believe the power of kindness is truly powerful and contagious. And one act can have a ripple effect that spread outwards to, to others. And in our moment in need, when we're standing a helping hand to another, the altruistic power of kindness, the benefit of kindness, the love and compassion of kindness that we share with our siblings in the beloved community is a win-win situation for all of us. Now, what makes kindness so powerful is that it doesn't pamper and it's not random. It's radical. It is brave. It is daring and and courageous. At times, risky and dangerous. Kindness has more power to change the lives of people than we can imagine. Kindness can reconcile relationships that have long thought to be irreparable. Kindness can empower world leaders to break stalemates. Kindness can reconcile nations and heal division among members of the global community. But my friends, we must also be aware of some folks who practice what I would call fake kindness. We all know those folks who regularly gives out platitudes and, and sincere compliments and gestures. And we all know it is done for manipulative and often destructive purposes. And you know those folks that I'm talking about, the folks on your job, in your neighborhood, and even in your church. But you know, I'm not talking about anyone here with us this morning virtually, but we know these folks. We know those folks who will compliment on how well you look in their suit, tell you into your face, that they like your new hairdo only to go behind your back and tell your friends you look like crap. You know who I'm talking about. So before you mute me on your computer, can I get real with you this morning? I don't know about you, but I have in my lifetime experienced a few folks who go out of their way to show me how kind they are because they are in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. They support the removal of the Confederate flag, Confederate statue. They championed civil rights and marched with Dr. King back in the day, voted for Barack Obama, and they bragged to me about the anti-racism work and the allyship. But soon I discovered when there was an opportunity to confront a family member who made disgusting racial remarks about me at the dinner table, when their friends call young people who are exercising their constitutional right to protect thugs or lowlife, or when they fail to stand up against the white supremacy culture at their jobs. Unfortunately, these same kind folks often lose their nerves and are afraid to speak up when their friends are not being so kind. Now, I know it is easy to become cynical, because I have encountered many forms of fake kindness in my life. However, it doesn't mean there aren't any genuine genuine people out there. And you see, genuine kindness is exhibited when we act out of love, justice, truthfulness, and respect. The goodness that we show towards our siblings of the beloved community. Genuine kindness is a fundamental to our existence and during our time on this planet and after we leave this earth, our kindness, the way we treated others is rightly remembered and often celebrated. And over time, kindness has more impact on reflective thinking and personal behavior than all of the nasty stuff, fakeness and security that destructive people can dredge, dredge up out of their darkness. But friends, I came by to tell you this morning some good news. The good news is that despite the many examples of fake kindness that we see in our society every day, let me tell you about a time when a group of people performed a radical, courageous, life-altering act of kindness. The author of the reading that I read, Naomi Shahab Nye, wrote the poem Kindness when she was stranded alone in a remote village in Colombia. In 1978. The bus on which she was traveling was attacked, and one of her fellow passengers, an indigenous man, was murdered and left by the side of the road. With only clothes on her back and speaking rudimentary Spanish, Naomi was adopted by a street gang who protected her and fed her rows for days until she was reunited with her husband. Naomi's story, the inspiration for her poem, illustrates that the power of kindness is not about grand messianic gestures, but it is a simple accumulation of gentle, almost invisible acts of compassion, kindness, performed sometimes by the Samaritan from which we least expect. Simple acts of kindness or heroic acts can have a positive long-term impact on lives, and we have the power to help foster hope and harmony for our collective humanity. As Unitarian Universalists, let us too practice loving kindness by dedicating our lives to the quality of friendliness and care. As we directly serve peace on earth, let us practice loving kindness as we continue to work for social justice and healing of the environment. Imagine what the beloved community could be if we all committed ourselves to cultivating kind hearts. If we just dedicate our lives to kindness, the quality of friendliness and care, we would be directly serving peace on earth. Holly Branson said, just imagine how different the world would be if we all spoke to everyone with respect and kindness. Imagine if we had more kindness there's a possibility that we will not be facing the myriad of evilness that haunts our community today. Imagine in this world of social media, we could make a choice only to post words and videos of kindness. Imagine how much kinder our world would be if we eliminate so many unkind words, threats, bullying, and other unkind deeds. Imagine if we had more kindness, our politics would be less toxic, less divisive, more civil. Imagine if we had more kindness, walls won't be built between our country and our neighbor's border, and children would not be be separated from their parents and put in cages. Imagine if we had more kindness, racism would be eradicated, white supremacy would be eviscerated, discrimination of all kinds would be eliminated. Imagine if more folks in this country would have practiced kindness by wearing face masks in public and maintaining proper social distance, perhaps we could have been worshiping in person this morning. My friends, opportunities to practice kindness are all around us it is on each of us to seize those opportunities and put put a little bit more kindness in the world. Kindness and love is what will save our world, not wars. And in the Christian scriptures, Jesus tells us to love each other. Kindness is the best expression of love. His holiness, the Dalai Dalai Lama tells us, his religion is very simple. He says, my religion is kindness. No matter what religion or spiritual path we follow, or if you follow none, you can still practice the power of kindness. And through kindness, we can achieve a positive legacy that could never be achieved, achieved through force or intimidation. Most will remember our kindness and treasure it in their hearts. And if they experience enough real kindness from others, eventually we can learn to be kind to ourselves and to each other if we want to change the world we the people of the beloved community must learn to appreciate and extend the power of kindness and in these times that we are living in today we all can lose use a little more a little more kindness may this be so amen
0: What a
1: fabulous service. Thank you, everybody. Now let us say the words to extinguish the chalice and we invite you to blow out your candle at the same time. We will paste the words in the Zoom chat again. We'll do this all together in unison. We extinguish this flame. But not the light of of truth, truth, the warmth warmth of unity, or the fire.
0: fire. Easy in our hearts until 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 we are together again.
5: Oh, good.
2: Friends, as we end our time together, no matter how frightening the world has become, no matter how frightening individual circumstances of your life may be today or tomorrow. Be not not afraid because the warmth of this community, our support for each other, and the memory of the childish flame shall sustain our hearts and encourage our minds as we engage the blessings of life's challenges and joy. Friends, be kind to each other. We need each other to survive. Now go in priests, go in joy, go in love. Namaste,
0: ashe, amen.